Episode 93 is here, everybody, with Neil Stratton, the president and founder of Inside the League, InsideTheLeague.com, a uh, consulting services firm specializing in behind-the-scenes access for aspiring contract advisors or current contract advisors, financial advisors, scouts, all related to the NFL industry. He seems to have branched out maybe into some other leagues, but his prime focus is on football, the NFL, the NFL Players Association, and connecting people and providing resources and providing tools to help you succeed in the cutthroat world of the sports business, especially the NFL business. So fantastic episode. I've known Neil for a while since my days as an agent, and he's continuing to do great things and uh, will undoubtedly impress you and provide a lot of intel and knowledge throughout this episode but before we get to it everybody please if you haven't yet join the optimal life family click subscribe we continue to grow and uh cannot thank you enough for your continued support we are getting closer to episode 100 and be prepared for some special things on episode 100 as we make our way closer so episode 93 is here folks click subscribe and then once you do please sit back relax and welcome the one and only Neil Stratton. The Optimal Life. Hey, man. Good to hear from you, Nate. What's up, brother? Dude, way too long, huh? <laughs> Jeez almighty. Sounds like you're going and blowing with this thing, man. You got, uh, I've seen your tweets, and uh, you've got some pretty cool guys that have done this. Yeah, you know, I'm actually not on Twitter. Where, where have you seen it at? Facebook, maybe? Well, I guess maybe, I know you did, you interviewed Andy, right? I did, yeah, he might have posted something. Yeah, that must have been what it was. And I thought I'd seen someone else, but maybe I'm crazy. Uh, yeah, you may have. Uh, Tony Grossi, who's big on Twitter, uh, was on a couple times. He's a reporter here oh. for the Cleveland Browns here in Cleveland. I know that name. I don't know him. Yeah. yeah well, hey, listen, man. Episode 93 is right now, and I, I couldn't get a bigger name than Neil Stratton. So it doesn't matter about any of the other guys. <laughs> How's life treating you? I'm honored that you're reaching out to me, man. Oh, absolutely. How, how's everything going? Everything's good. Everything's cool. Now, listen, um, I've got my dog in here, and if the, one of the boys comes home, they won't. We should be in good shape. That's all right. To, if he starts barking, do you want to start over? Or no, no, man. We're, we're, we're already rolling. It's all good. What I like about this is that we just keep it nice and authentic, and whatever happens, happens. So, uh it's all good. What's new and exciting at ITL these days, man? You you on the road a lot? Um, probably more so than I used to be. Uh, that's kind of the goal. About a week and a half ago, I was in Nashville uh, talking to a lot of members of the college uh, football personnel community. Uh, as you may or may not know, Nate, the major colleges are really ramping up their own evaluation of high school talent in the old days they kind of farm that out to rivals and and what have you and they're starting to do that in-house now and so a major part of college football right now at least growth wise is all these different schools that are really ripping that up and so um, we at inside the league are trying to meet those people find those people talk to them about developing professionally and uh, you know filling all I guess uh, fulfilling all their goals and so I went and uh, I was honored to be asked to come I brought a couple friends and for a half hour we spoke about how to get a job at the NFL based on 
my experiences, what I've seen, uh, who I know, the people that I've spoken to, and it was pretty well received, I thought. There are about 300 people there, and uh, we're really excited about the direction that's going to go. I, I think it's a, a pretty neat thing. All these, A lot of these people are, a lot of people there were quite young and still learning about the business, quite frankly. A lot of them were volunteers. Mm-hmm. Some of them, some of the people in the in the group were agents. Some of them were just kind of independent young evaluators who are trying to, to get hired by schools or teams or what have you. And so interesting. it was fun. It's, and it's interesting to see how this business has evolved. I mean, Nate, as you know, when you were a, a, a contract advisor, it was still kind of a, a burgeoning thing there. I mean, when, when we launched MTL in 02, that was a major deal. I mean, uh, you know, at the time, everyone coming out of college, or at least a lot of people that are coming out of college that were football-minded wanted to be agents. Uh, Jerry Maguire was on TV three or four times a day. I mean, it was a different time. Right. Uh, as the business has evolved and the economic model has changed, it's not nearly as, I think, attractive an option for a lot of people. So we're trying to kind of mold things differently as the business changes. Now, when people ask you, like, it, when you get into your elevator speech and someone says, hey, what exactly is inside the league? What What's your response? Today, what I say that I try to say is we're a connector. We try to make the business, the football business world smaller. Uh, we have obviously a subscription service that is part of what we do. A lot of people would say that that we're confident information service because we have a path for protected blog and we talk about it, all things related to the business of football. But we also have a newsletter series for parents of players and we try to help get them coached up and learn a little bit more about the business. Obviously, we have people that come into the business that are aspiring scouts or maybe they work for colleges some of them are coaches uh, we have people who are agents obviously that make up probably the bulk of our uh, subscribership but we have people from uh, we have combine trainers we have people from all walks of the professional life when it comes to football we try to help them in the way that we can we're doing a lot more work now hosting people that are maybe going to the combine and trying to solicit vendors or their vendors themselves. We have, uh, we host a vote for the best draft every year and we send out ballots to every active NFL scout and then they vote on which team they think did the best in the previous year. And we, uh, hand out that award to the GM of the team that won it at the combine. So, right. I don't know if I've even fully answered that question. Nate. Well, let's break it down. Let's break it down for people that are interested. Because there's still a ton of people out there that are interested in the sports industry. It's, the sports industry is one of those enigmas. It's kind of like everyone, it's sexy on the outside. Everyone wants to get a piece of it. A lot of people want to get into it, especially, like you said, young college kids that are coming up. And But, but nobody really understands exactly what it is or how to go about doing it. That's kind of where you guys have come into play. But let's go. Let's break it down. So you said agents or aspiring agents are your probably make up the bulk of your clientele. So, what kind of value added services are you providing to those people, the the agents or the aspiring agents? Well, let's say you're a, someone who aspires to be a player rep. You're gonna you're going to register with the NFLPA in January. You'll take an exam that summer. You'll get the results back in about two months, month and a half thereabouts presuming you are one of the 45% of the people that pass statistically that exam. Which is crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And that's a hard exam, I will say. That is a very, very difficult exam. And it's open book. 
and it got a lot tougher in 2015. The uh, Players Association, it's fair to say, feels that there are too many agents certified, and their way of curbing that was to make the test a lot harder. And, uh, of course, there's a three-year rule whereby if you do not get a player at least on the 90-man roster in the summer during that first three years, you're out, and you have to take the test over again. Pay your initiation fee of the whole nine yards. Anyway. And explain the initiation fee and the first year fee. How much is it going to cost somebody with their first year? $2,500 to take the exam. That's non-refundable. You have two chances to pass the exam. It must be in consecutive years. So, uh, you know, presuming you – so, which is kind of funny. There's about 250 people that are there each summer that are taking the exam. About half of them were there the year before. So, uh, anyway, you pay $2,500 – take the exam, you go to Washington, D.C., you're there for two days, they have a seminar on the first day, the second day you take the exam, uh, you get your results back in about six weeks, maybe eight weeks, at any rate, hopefully we're working with you, we're helping you kind of learn the business, how do you recruit, what do you say to a parent when they ask you how many players you already represent and you don't have any, how do you make your player uh, appealing to an to one of the in a college all-star games? Uh, we work with one of the uh, All-Star Games, which is in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, how do you choose a training regimen for your client? How do you find a reasonably priced one? What do you say to him when he wants more money just because? Um, how do you contact scouts? How do you get them ready for the interview process? We do all those things. But those are all uh, those are all services you're providing after the person's already passed the exam. So. Prior to them passing, you're also offering, what is it, like a, a prep course? That's correct. We have a study guide as well as a practice exam. We've been doing that since, I think, 2012. Um, we have worked every, at least one agent with all the top 10 firms has gotten certified using our study materials. We are definitely the leader there. We've also branched out into Major League Baseball. We have a practice exam for that they they will take the test actually on wednesday and so we have a few people that are using our materials for that as well nice uh, that's yeah that's a big deal and uh, more of the major leagues you know the nba has, has instituted an exam as well i believe major league baseball instituted an exam three years ago so a lot of uh, the other leagues are following the nfl's lead on trying to uh, build a more professional uh, representation community sure so and, so, so for those for those agents, they get they the, the half that passed the exam, they they've already paid their twenty five hundred, and then they have to pay their insurance dues, which is correct me if I'm wrong, approximately two thousand, correct? And then they yeah, well, they've got another twenty five hundred dollars to spend after the initial twenty five hundred, just to get registered, certified, insured, all those kind of things. That's before they start to spend money on state by state registration and some of those are pretty cheap and some of those are pretty pricey they all have kind of different rules some states are free but there's only a handful of those if you're in my state and you want to recruit players in texas you've got to get a i believe a ten thousand dollar surety bond maybe it's a hundred thousand i'm not sure don't quote me on that that's going to cost you a thousand dollars on top of the registration itself so wow. it the it really you kind of get nickel dime just for the opportunity to try to help players, um, you know, realize their dreams. And, and Nate, I want to say this. Agents are probably the most hated people in the business. Everyone 
loves to kind of unite against them and sees them as the enemy and all oh, the other people that are taking advantage of these poor innocent college players, it is rare that I come across. And I, I mean, I work with all of them. I know them all, even the ones that aren't clients. You know, I've, I've at least got a knowledge of them. It's really rare when I come across someone who's strictly getting in this to get rich. And I don't think I've ever heard of anyone that was trying to really talk to players. I mean, it's too tough of an industry. Um, and honestly, most agents there, all agents that I know of, their heart's in the right place. They are, they're intensely interested in the business. They're intensely interested in helping players. They didn't sure. get to play themselves. They want to help them realize their dreams. Absolutely. I, Absolutely. That's the way it works. And Nate, I mean, you know this. You were an agent yourself. So it's kind of sad that the major media persona of these guys out there is that they're all bloodsuckers. That's not true at all. Yeah, well, that's you're right. And that goes back to the sensationalization, the, the uh, Hollywood and the Jerry sure. Maguire movies and, uh, you, you know, and then, and then guys like Rosenhaus who really put the agent business on the map. So... It became more high profile when those books were coming out. The whole thing. So uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things. I agree with you. Most of the guys, even when I was recruiting, I would think that these. I, I was thinking to myself, man, I'm I'm recruiting up against a bunch of scumbags, and then I'd like sit there and I meet these guys at the pro, uh, the different bowl games, the Senior Bowl, Combine weekend, I'd be like, man, these guys are normal, regular dudes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah, I, they're intense and they're bloodthirsty when they're recruiting against each other. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But really trying to rape these players I don't see it I don't I see agree. it certainly there are some times when wealth managers do that um, certainly there are others I mean you know any, anyone that can google can find stories of players who are taken advantage of but by and large they're not the agents that are doing it now again agents has become kind of a all encompassing term for anyone who works with players but it when I say agent, I'm speaking strictly of the ones that are negotiating their contracts. Yeah, the contract advisors registered with the NFL Players Association. Right. Which the rules have become even stricter, I believe, since I've gotten out of the industry. Recruiting has become more strict. You could only recruit players if you're certified, correct? That's correct. And that, and that happened when I first started coming in, so that rule isn't new. But um, but they also, they also decreased the agent's uh, commission. Is that correct? That's correct as well. It's now, whereas it was 3% across the board, now the NFL uh, PA has instituted a um, standard representation agreement that makes a player choose what his fee is going to be, 3, 2, 1, or even less than 1. Now, that's negotiated by the player and the agent, but it lends itself to the players thinking, well, I guess in my estimation, it devalues the agent because they start thinking, the 3% is a high watermark and 1% is probably more reasonable. When you're asking a, an agent to pay for your training, uh, to possibly risk fifteen dollars to $20,000 just to get you through and get you ready for the combine and or pro day, to me, that warrants paying 3%. Um, you know, as you know, Nate, agents are the ones that are bearing all the risk and they're the ones that have to you know, have this uh, barrier to entry that's so high financially and usually, especially when you're a newer agent, you're not signing guys that are potential fourth, fifth rounders. You're hoping that they will get signed after the draft. And in most cases, they don't. Uh, only about 15% of agents, maybe 20% of agents, actually get guys on rosters. And I'm not talking about 53-man rosters. I'm talking about the summer rosters, 90-man. 
uh, the odds are just overwhelmingly against you, and that's one reason why it's become a rather broken business model and, and a really tough one to achieve in. And again, that's why we try to help people as much as we can because there are a lot of people who have a heart for the business. They have they want to help. They love the game and. So we try to help them connect the dots as much as we possibly can. If I was a player, man, what I would be telling these players, and we used to do the same thing, and especially for players going into their second and third veteran contracts where you have more wiggle room, more leverage, more negotiating savvy and power, and if you have some connections in the league, you can maybe get guys in different places. What I would tell these guys is, look, you are busy worrying about my 1%, whether I'm making 3% or 2%. You want me to be at 2%. So, but what if I can get you a million and a half instead of a million? So I can get you a million and a half, and I'm and I'm at and I'm at two percent. I'm at three percent. So you're paying me what is it, forty five thousand dollars on that million and a half, versus somebody else who's going to do your contract for two percent, but they can only get you a million. So for that additional fifteen thousand dollars, because now you're paying them twenty, and the, or you're, you're paying them twenty. Uh, Twenty thousand, you're paying me forty-five. So for that additional twenty-five thousand dollars, your delta ends up being like four hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. So again, these guys are always so concerned about the the percent number instead of looking at the value add that the contract advisor is potentially bringing to the person's life. And I think that not enough guys are educating the players in that regards. At least from what I recall, I could be wrong. That's precisely what it is. It's there's a, a lack of education. And by and large, that's because the schools don't touch this. And yeah, I guess, you know, it's natural, it's human nature to want to get the lowest price on some something. It's uh, human nature to want to try to negotiate people downward. But I'm kind of one of those, you get what you pay for, guys. And I believe that, you know, you pay if you pay a little bit more, if you pay 3% or whatever, it winds up coming out in the mix. Um, 100% again, agree with you. Especially when they're making, when the player representative is making that kind of an investment in you so yes. yeah it's a tough thing i mean the way it has evolved nate given social media given the way uh, a lot of agents have conducted themselves and rather publicly uh, players now have a sense of entitlement and i don't mean to uh, i'm certainly not trying to throw the players on the bus but they do believe that they're worthy of a certain uh, level of training if they've attended X school X or if they started for X number of years or whatever and that's not always fitting of the level of prospect they are. That's one reason why we have X NFL scouts that for $100 will write a professional report on a player and really kind of point out his strengths and weaknesses and give a fair evaluation and projection of where the player probably fits in the draft. It's been a very uh, positive, very popular aspect um, offering that we have, and I, I think there's a good reason for that. For the most part, you know, players just don't know exactly where they fit into the NFL, and they've been they've had their parents and family members and friends and teammates, perhaps, and girlfriends telling them you're gonna be an NFL star someday. That doesn't always fit with the way that NFL scouts see them. So sure. when you you've got someone who can look at you objectively, I think there's value in that. Absolutely. So for somebody that that's going after a top talent, there's a lot of people out there that go, oh, I can do this, it's so easy, blah, blah, blah. You go out, you're going after a first-round type talent. I mean, what, what are some of the numbers that you've heard, how much, how much these firms are investing on the player pre-draft 
And to piggy the second part of that question is what is and is not allowed in regards to is there basically a ceiling on how much an agency can spend on a player prior to the draft that he could commit to that, that player? Let me answer the second question first. I, there is – you are not supposed to offer anything – I believe the rule states before they are eligible. You're not supposed to talk hard numbers. That's not the reality of the situation. I mean, but nine out of ten times, and I don't blame a player's appearance for this, they're going to want to kind of know what the you know, what the finances are going to look like, what kind of commitment an agent's going to make prior to signing. And, uh, you know, let's say a player is uh, going to a bowl game. He's typically going to have his final interviews in those first – couple weeks in December after he's completed finals and he's going to talk one specifics from everyone who he's meeting with. Um, now, as far as what you can offer, I mean, Nate, the, the players association, I think has set some boundaries and set some limits, but they never hold to them. I've never seen an agent disciplined or penalized for going past them. Uh, there was a very specific offer sheet that was circulated I mean, virtually everyone in the business got a copy of it because it was put on paper, and it far exceeded the numbers that you're typically going to see. Um, again, there was no blowback from the uh, NFL Player Association, and I know specifically right. um, dozens of agents sent that that, uh, that PDF directly to the PA, and, and nothing was done so, about and it. And you're so, talking about like six-figure type investments plus. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, approaching seven figures. Yeah, that's By insane. The time, yeah. Now, how is it all broken down? You're looking at five thousand dollars per month. Let's okay. Let's talk about a player who's first half of the first round. Let's say he's an offensive player, a touchdown score, because those are usually the most marketable ones. You're looking at five thousand dollars a month from January through the end of April. You're looking at a twenty-five to thirty thousand dollar training commitment at the facility of the player's choice. You're looking at Again, kind of depending on the school that he attended, depending on the position he plays, uh, there are a lot of variables. But you're looking at uh, probably a signing bonus of anywhere from twenty-five to fifty thousand dollars. That is his to keep. So you're at a hundred thousand right now. Yeah, and we're just getting started. And then you look, and now there may be a marketing guarantee. There may be uh, other considerations. Uh, so you're looking. I love that. I love the marketing guarantee, man. You know, yeah. I'll tell you what. I'm not going to name names, but. We lost a pretty high-profile guy. Uh, it came down to us and one other agency, and we lost this guy because of that quote-unquote marketing guarantee. So in my opinion, what a marketing guarantee is, is if we can't get you the marketing dollars, then we'll just pay you ourselves. <laughs> and the marketing guarantee has almost become passe since you were in the business, Nate, because players don't even want to talk about having to do anything for their money. They really just want it handed, handed to them. Really, uh, it, and like you, like you said, I mean, a marketing guarantee is, in many ways, in name only. Anyway, I mean, Correct. you're going to player the money, and you know, you've got a bank that's going to give you the money or whatever, and that's kind of the the inducement. Uh, you know, inducements technically are illegal, but I mean, come on, these inducements when you're handing when you're looking when you're going to a player and saying we're going to do this, this, and this for you. Um, you don't have to call them inducements. Um, you can whatever you want to. They're inducements. That's the way it is. Sure. But everyone's doing it, and how are you, are you? I mean, because everyone's doing it, because it has become the way that business is done in this industry, you can't stop it. I mean, everybody's doing it. 
Sure. Uh, really difficult proposition. And, and, and listen, I'll say this. I don't know how I would police the industry if I was the Players Association. It's simply too hard. You know, these documents are never made public. This is all kind of between, you know, the, the, the agencies and the players. And the players don't want this information to get out there because they're the ones that are benefiting from it. So it's a really hard thing to go in and try to you know, call balls and strikes on it. I'm, every day I'm told, hey, I didn't know those guys were paying players, but they're paying players. Most often what it is is they were willing to offer a bigger marketing guarantee, a bigger stipend, um, whatever you want to call it, exactly. bigger per than what the other agency wanted to pay. And so they're saying, well, they're paying them. Well, you were, you were offering similar amount, maybe not quite as much. It's not illegal. It's just part of the game now. Let me ask you, because this one never made sense to me. You've got the NFL which has capped, the NFLPA has capped the agent commission at 3%. You've got other leagues such as the NBA and Major League Baseball whose caps I believe are 4%. So their their caps are greater than, than for the agents, for the contract advisors. You, you can make more money and there's guaranteed contracts in those leagues. So the money is already greater versus the NFL, the not for long league where where guys are having you know three year shelf lives and then they're gone, and the 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 risk is so much greater. So, question: Why has the NFL been so against raising the agent commission cap? Here's you still there, Nate? You got me? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Here's my theory: When 2011 came around and um, you know, the last time the CBA was open, the NFL owners were on a war path and they had one goal, and that was to reduce signing bonuses handed out to first rounders and to impose a more regimented slotting system. And the players, um, by my reckoning, had no real counter for that. Their own strategy was winning court. So when they went to the, the different labor courts and lost and lost and lost and they had no recourse, essentially to sign the CBA, it was a really bad thing for players and, and, and for agents. And so Demora Smith, the executive director, I think assessed the situation and felt like they needed, I don't want to say a scapegoat, but maybe they needed to look at the industry in a different way in order to perhaps uh, be able to be around for the next CBA negotiation. So if you if you look at the business the way that I do, I feel like they needed to make agents the bad guys. Mm. So for the last five to six years, they have consistently rallied against agents. They've encouraged veterans to negotiate their own contracts uh, on the second deal and the third deal. Really? Uh, yes. I mean, that's been very public. Oh, that's I mean, terrible. Russell Okung out there, you're seeing more and more veterans that are doing that. We're seeing more rookies. Uh, you know, Lamar Jackson, of course, was very po- uh, public about that. That's um, the uh, defensive tackle from Mississippi State, Jeffrey, uh, uh, his name escapes me, didn't have an agent last year. So we're st- starting to see that a lot more. They've obviously they've instituted a three-year rule, which is I can't remember exactly what year that was instituted, but they're making it tougher for agents, and I think they, to some degree, have led a campaign against agents and have tried to 
devalue them in many ways. But the players and, associations on the other leagues are not don't don't have that kind of animosity toward their I, contract advisors. When you go to, I will talk to a lot of people that went to the agent meetings uh, to take the exam for MLB tomorrow, uh, later this week. Almost all of them will come back and say how refreshing it was that they felt like Major League Baseball wanted them there, wanted to partner with them, saw them as having an impact, a positive impact on the game. Every time a would-be agent comes back from D.C. after the test, they come back and say, you know, why do they hate us? Why do they not want us there? It's a real attitude, and it's not something that I hear once, you know, every once in a while. It's consistent, Nate. So wow, that's they kind of maintained this campaign against agents for a while, and, and honestly, I think it was to some degree to help them take their uh, get players to take their eye off the ball. I I, I think that that agents have a real role in this game. I think they're you know, they they have a lot of value. You're smart if you use one, but more and more often, the NFL Players Association is saying, "What do you need an agent for anyway?" And I think that's because they kind of needed someone to rail against and to say, hey, these guys are taking advantage of y'all. And mean, and meanwhile, here we are 10 years later, and essentially the same executive team is going to be negotiating the next CBA, even though they got soundly whipped on the last one. If the NFL Players Association doesn't have a body of contract advisors, attorneys, contract advisors, that are looking out for the players' best interests, negotiating on those players' behalf, and instead has the NFL teams, would they just be ne- just negotiating with the players or the players' families? I mean, what what would that scenario look like, and where are the pitfalls in that situation? The CBA is a rather Byzantine document, and there are a lot of rules and a lot of ways that you can be taken advantage of when you don't have leverage. And a player who goes in and gets drafted, you know, after the second round, or a player who goes in to camp and gets hurt, or a player who is in the waning years of his career doesn't have leverage anymore. And it's really important to know the rules and to have relationships and to develop that leverage that you can only have when you have a professional representative whose job only is to work for you and to be your advocate and that's astonishing to me it boggles my mind that a professional uh union a a body a a licensing body would ever argue against that but i think it's fair to say that's what the nflpa has done in the last five six seven years so what do they want to accomplish when's the next collective bargaining agreement uh set to expire uh it expires after this season it expires in march so what is so, what do you think that they if if you could go talk to Smith and the rest of his team in a perfect ideal world what do they want to see happen to this to this body of agents? Well, um, I think they'd like to see the number cut in half. Which is what? What is it about a thousand? About eight hundred. Okay. When I we launched in 02, there are about fifteen hundred. Um, within two to three years, I think. They had instituted a three-year rule whereby, again, if you didn't have someone on a roster in three years, you're out. That cut the number about in half to around 750 800, which is where we are now. Then in 2015, they made the tests a lot harder. That cut the number of people that were passing. So uh, whereas it was kind of on the high side of 800, now 
it's right at 800 is almost like a hard cap. Sometimes it'll go a little above it, but it's usually around 790 to 800 at all times. I think they would like to, there are about 400 agents who actually have an active NFL player. They would like to work only with those guys that have active NFL players, which is kind of how the MLB used to do it. You were an agent if you had a client. If you didn't have a client, you weren't an agent. So I think they feel like they'd rather have fewer kind of wannabes coming into the industry who are you know sending emails and making phone calls and not knowing the fundamental you know 100 level kinds of things it would make their job a lot easier and i think that's kind of their ultimate goal mm-hmm. uh, so it's not that they want to get rid of the body of of contract advisors they just want it to be more exclusive i think that's probably fair to say yeah sure because and, and there are people that have come into the industry I don't want to say on a lark, but they always want to be an agent. It, it's it's one of those jobs where people almost want to be an agent as much as they want to be a player. You know, it's it's kind of a dream, right? Filmic kind of thing, and I think they're kind of maybe tired of dealing with people that are uh, you know not uh, heavyweights professionally. So for you, and you've brought a ton of exposure, and, and I know that they probably don't like some of the things that you've done in, in the past or that you're d- continuing to do now, and. And and and, uh, and that's okay. I mean, they're entitled to that. But at the same point, you're you're strengthening their their uh, top and bottom line because you're bringing so much more exposure to this whole NFL industry, and more people are able to educate themselves. It's not only agents. Um, you also have financial advisors who are also correct me if I'm wrong. They um, are kind of uh, encouraged shall we say, to, to uh, register with the Players Association? Or is it a requirement? It's an encouragement. Uh, and, and listen, again, I, I will I will applaud the NFLPA um, for they've made it a lot tougher to be registered with, with um, as a financial advisor as well, as we, to be part of that program. You have to be a CFP now. Whereas as recently as I think two years ago, you just had to be a guy that uh, you know was essentially with FINRA that they can investigate and make sure you are clean. So they've tried to make, excuse me, make those standards tougher. I, uh, I think there are a lot of good things the NFLPA does, and I don't want this to sound like some kind of a diatribe, but I, I do think that they are. It's fair to say they're adversarial with most of the people that they're licensing, and I think they make their jobs a lot tougher. And I think most people in the industry would agree with that. Sure, sure. So for the financial advisors. Uh, again, is it the same kind of service you're connecting, you're educating, those kind of things? Yeah, uh, you get a lot of, the thing about the financial advisors, they come in this industry, and a lot of them, they have management of over billions of dollars, and they come into this industry thinking, that's going to translate, because they're used to working with doctors and business owners and, you know, money people, and they don't understand that most of the players, by and large, that are coming in, are wholly uneducated on how money works and the value of financial advisors and the value of wealth managers and all those kind of things. And I don't know what the statistic is. It's let, far less than half of people in the general population even have a financial advisor. Right. So they're coming in really pretty uneducated, and these financial advisors come in thinking, well, listen, I, I saw broke, and I see all these players that are getting uh, taken advantage of, and I just want to help them. And they don't see the value in having me come in and, and work with their money. And so I try to catch them up a little bit on who they need to talk to, how they can develop that network that may lead 
speak to more clients, how they can kind of speak the players' languages. It's funny, uh, just a quick illustration. Uh, I had a client who was at the Senior Bowl a couple years ago, and he's with Morgan Stanley, uh, which is one of the major brokerage houses in the business, you know, in, in the industry, in the country. And he went and introduced himself to the young man, and you know, my name's such and such, and I'm with Morgan Stanley, and all these kind of things. They had a 30 minute, 60 second, I mean, 30 second conversation or whatever, just trying to introduce himself. When they got done, the player said, "Well, hey, Mr. Stanley, I really appreciate you uh, saying hi. I'll, maybe I'll catch up with you later." He didn't even connect that the guy was with a major brokerage house. That's how woefully uneducated these young men are on the industry and who's out there and all those kind of things. So they're <laughs> starting from less than zero when it comes to trying to find an educated, a person who even sees the value in them and, and what they're doing and how they can help a player. And they've got a major you know, hill to climb. And, and so, again, sure. we them to climb that hill as well. We've got newsletter series. We have our blog, of course, uh, succeedinfootball.com, as well as the site itself. And then we work one-on-one with all of our people. So, And this yeah. is like a, through a monthly membership fee? We charge twenty nine ninety five a month. You can cancel at any time. You're never obligated. We have different services and products that we sell on top of that, but that's our basic membership rate. And if you are part of our membership, uh, our clientele, then you have me essentially Whenever you have a question, obviously we speak confidentially. I'll coach you up. I'll teach you. I may not be able to stay on the phone with you that much, but I'm pretty responsive when it comes to texts and emails, and that's typically how I try to stay in contact with my people. What about the scouts thing? Because scouting is kind of one of those businesses or one of those job careers that it's so small. It's such an obscure part of the sports world. Who, Who are the type of people that actually say, I want to become a scout out of college? Are these Are these former athletes? Well, it's. I think that former athletes make up a, a lot of them. I would say probably mm, at least two thirds to three fourths of of the active NFL scouts right now, at least had some level of college athletic uh, career. I would say ninety percent of them at least played in high school. Uh, so okay. you get a lot of that. But I think that to some degree, the NFL scout career has become a sexy thing as well it's almost it almost rivals being an agent the difficulty is when it comes to being an agent you spend your money you pass an exam congratulations you're certified you're part of the uh, agent community mm-hmm. to be a scout it's a lot tougher to gain access to those jobs and um, what you find is there's a lot of nepotism in the NFL and a lot of who you know and and in their defense NFL teams if they've got a, a there, I think there's only one team that actually posts its scouting job, scouting assistant openings, and that's the Titans. I can only imagine how many applications they get for that job, and I can't even begin to imagine how they sort through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there probably are ten thousand applicants. I mean, that's I absurd, man. Yeah. Well, it's an it, people because to people it's like, oh, I'd love to just go on the road, travel, and and, and evaluate these young talent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's almost like being in the, in the football mob. You know, you yeah. don't really how you operate, and you call the shots, and all this kind of stuff. And the, uh, and the hopes are you are for I imagine a lot of them. The hopes are to continue to move up the ranks to potentially become a GM or a you know personnel director or something. Absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Absolutely. And what would be more fun than that? It's like real life fantasy football. Yeah. Yeah. So. But the, 
how to get that job is very difficult. And that's, again, that's why I kind of addressed the group in, in Nashville and talked about it. And, and I, I, I openly said, I don't have the secrets here. I don't have the answers. I can tell you how others have achieved uh, getting to the NFL. I can, you know, I actually read quotes from some of my friends that have gotten jobs in the league over the last two or three years and, and talked about it and you know, emphasized the importance of networking and emphasized the importance of knowing the business and knowing who's getting hired, knowing who's hiring, um, knowing typically how often these jobs last and all those kinds of things and um, having a mentor, what have you. But all those things, there are no guarantees in any of this. It's just, it's so important that you find, that you build a network uh, of people that are in the game, that trust you, that come to value your your work and your efforts, and then maybe that helps and increases your odds, but it certainly doesn't get you anything necessarily. It's all, it's such a relationship-based business, and I, I guess that'll always be true. Hey, man, it's fascinating what you've uh, created and developed and continue to develop. It sounds like the business is, is not slowing down by any means. It sounds like you're continuing to evolve and grow. Uh, people want to connect with you online, social media, website. Where do they find you? Well, there's three ways that won't cost you anything. Number one, of course, we're on Twitter. And we've become, uh, especially in April and May, we've become the leading probably information service for people who are tracking who's getting hired as a scout, who's getting fired as a scout. We break a lot of information there. So if you're interested, follow us on Twitter at Inside the League. Um, if you are an aspiring agent, if you're an aspiring scout, if you're someone who really wants to kind of figure out how to crack into the business, we have a blog called succeedinfootball.com, and it's just a simple WordPress site. You won't be impressed by the gee whiz aspect of it, but for five years we've been writing about our uh, our observations, our experiences, um, our recommendations on how to get a job uh, you know, as a scout, how to achieve, you know, how to succeed as an agent, how to do anything football related so check out our blog at succeedinfootball.com and then we also have uh, a, week, a weekly newsletter which is called the Friday Wrap comes out at 6.30 central time every Friday and it talks about the industry and kind of what happened in the week and we talk about again hiring, firing, trends um, anything related to the game off the field uh, if you're looking for fantasy football tips if you're trying to get a breakdown of who your favorite team favorite teams looking at in the first round? That's not us. But if you're trying to get to break into the industry, if you're trying to learn about the business, if you're trying to get a better handle on what football likes behind the scenes, then the Friday wrap is a good place to start. You can go to our again our Twitter. Every Friday we post the link um, on how to register for that. It goes out to about five five thousand people in the industry uh, weekly, wow. and GMs, agents, um, you know, wealth managers some players, parents of players, lots of people that are just interested in knowing a little bit about the game behind the game. I'll say this, man, and you've said this is a relationship industry, and if you are in the industry or you're considering going into the industry, I'm not just saying this because you're here talking right now. I'm saying this because you have you, you really are a real-life connector, and for that extra small fee per month, if you're serious about this industry, you're serious about excelling in your career, you should absolutely join the Inside the League community because, again, a guy like Neil and his team is going to be able to connect you with – that's what it's all about. It's meeting people. It's connecting to people. It's it's understanding what's going on behind the scenes. And 
if you're serious about it, don't half-ass it. Do, do, do it the right way. So, uh, InsideTheLeague.com, and, and we'll link everything up, Neil, all right? Man, I really appreciate it, man. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It's all, it always is. You've always thought about the game in different ways, and you have you, you, you have an entrepreneurial spirit. I, th- I think I do as well, and most people in this industry do as, as well. So it's been a lot of fun, and, and uh, you know, I just appreciate you having me on, man. Oh, absolutely, man. Stay in touch, brother. Good to talk to you as always. For sure, buddy. Thank you, brother.